Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel and with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about the end of the teacher strike, the sticky situation surrounding transportation of marijuana across the state, e-scooters, ride shares, and their impact on transit, and a quick update on CD10 and the surprisingly coy politician with an unsurprising revelation in a campaign fundraising email. How's it going, Bushido? Uh, a little bit weird. I just saw uh, on the interwebs a Kamala Harris action figure. Uh, that isn't being what? released. It's amazing that she announced her her candidacy like the beginning of the week. I want to say maybe. And there's an action figure. Yeah. So clearly, like <laughs> it's spontaneous, right? Somebody just went and manufactured and designed that all in like three days and released it. So this wasn't a plan from the get go, I guess. But uh, also, I don't. I don't know. Like I had enough cop action figures as a kid. I don't need another cop action oh, figure yeah. as an adult. No, there. Yeah, we, we can be done with those. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so it's a you know political environment here in LA is is shifting. Uh, but let's start with the big win of the week. Uh, UTLA, the strike is over. Uh, they have a contract, and the teachers have voted on it. There was a rally downtown at Grand Park on Tuesday morning that was scheduled to mark the sixth school day of the strike and stand as a show of strength and support for the union reps that are uh, at the negotiation table directly across the street from the park over in City Hall. But that rally turned from a protest into a celebration as news of a tentative deal was announced on stage. And everyone kind of knew this was coming. There was yeah. there was a big uh, rally planned and also a, a protest direct action was planned that morning and those all got called off. Um, I think around eight or so, the mayor office announced we'll be having a press conference at 9.30. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, kind of surprising, not completely surprising to everyone, but it seems like the deal pulled together pretty quickly that weekend. Yeah, it really did. It was, uh, I believe, late night and even overnight negotiations in order to make it all come together. So Alex Caputo-Pearl, who is the president of the United Teachers Los Angeles, which is the union that represents all public school teachers in the district, took to the stage in the late morning to announce the details of what concessions had been won from LA Unified School District leaders in over negotiations. Key wins for the teachers include a 6% retroactive raise in salaries split across the 2017 and 2018 school years, a reduction in average class sizes, limits on the expansion of charter schools within the district, hiring 41 full-time teacher librarians next year, as well as hiring more than 300 nurses over the next two years so that every school in the district will have a nurse on campus five days a week. Honestly, to me, that, that, was, that was one of the big shocking ones of they only had nurses in a bunch of schools one day a week. Well, it, it, that scares the hell out of me, not just for like the whole, hey, kids might need like emergency access to a nurse if they like crack their head open on the playground or whatever. But if you're a diabetic and you're in elementary school, schools do not allow you to like hold your own insulin for the most part. Like you have to get special dispensation Jesus. from the school and from your doctor. So like if you need your shot before lunch to eat lunch, you have to go to the school nurse and have them administer the medication in a lot of ways. Same thing with asthma inhalers. Same thing with a lot of chronic illnesses. Oh yeah. No, so if I, I had asthma and I, I had forgotten that that was the case. Yeah. If there's no nurse on campus and you need your medication, what are oh. you supposed to do? And I know in for a lot of parents and a lot of kids that have chronic illnesses, they just go ahead and take care of it themselves. But that's not the way that that system's supposed to be working. No. And it's part of like how LAUSD has these very like simple things like have a nurse on campus uh, and their failure to do so creates a lot of can be life-threatening problems for people. So this is one where it's like we shouldn't have to shut down the city for nurses for kids, but apparently we had to and we still don't it 300 nurses still won't fill every single hole. We're still looking at like one nurse for like 500 kids. Yeah, like no, some insane yeah. average like that. No, it's 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 you know, it's better, but it's still not enough to solve that problem. Yeah, as everything that I've been hearing from teachers involved in this is that this is the it's a 
it's a huge win, but it's not over. This yeah. is going to continue. They're going to be fighting for this for a, a while to come. Yeah. Uh, so in addition to the nurses, they're also going to be hiring 17 more counselors for secondary schools in the district so that they can reach a 500 to 1 student to counselor ratio. Which again? How does that yeah. not already? These are these. So many of these things are things where you're just like really like LAUSD. You were you were providing a an extremely substandard educational environment for the for the students, and it was shocking that the teachers had to go to these lengths in order to make this happen. Well, and also with the counselors, you look at the the fact that a lot of kids who are in LAUSD. Yeah don't have stable home lives, um, maybe homeless, like will mm-hmm. need counseling services, not just for school, but like just in general life purposes. And then kids who don't do well, who drop out, who become truant can get criminalized. So you have these kids in like between a rock and a hard place. And it's it's just like, again, glad to hear they're hiring more counselors. But I mean, they they need so many more. And there's yeah, so many yeah. people in the city of LA that are qualified to do those jobs. Like it's not like we don't have enough college-educated people with counselor degrees and education degrees in the city of L.A., we just don't have a spot to, like, put them in the educational system, and this yeah. is really dumb. No, it's, yeah. it's, it's absurd. Uh, they're also <laughs> getting into into the, the highlights here. Again, um, they're going to be designating at least 30 new community schools in the district over the next two years, and these schools are going to be including wraparound services for the whole community, not just the students, and they'll even be including things like adult education, which that is that is huge in terms of the amount of community outreach that that's going to be able to provide. Yeah. Uh, there's also going to be an increase in green spaces on campus, which is extremely uh, important to see for kids because it has a massive impact on what their day-to-day life is like at school. Um, they're going to be removing a bunch of disused bungalows from school grounds, converting those to green spaces, as well as converting asphalt and other paved areas because the Los Angeles hardscaping really has no place in schools. Yep. Uh, and creating greener play areas and even including water capture systems on the grounds, which this is just a great win from from the students' like quality of life perspective, as well as from an environmental perspective, because these are, are all things that we need to be doing with more and more of our hardscape here in Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, they're also, and this is key, expanding a pilot program that ends the quote-unquote random searches, and big air quotes on that one, on campus to up to an additional 28 schools. Yeah, and in, in, as John Motter was reporting on Knock, L.A. spends just on school police officers almost $70 million a year. Uh, the LAUSD cops a few years ago got into trouble because they wanted AR-15s and an MRAP. Are you? Which an MRAP is a mine-resistant tank, essentially. Like it doesn't have For guns on it. Policing schools. Yeah, it's it's. It, so they just want to rip up our. They want to rip up our streets with this armored personnel transport carrier running down the streets, just shredding the asphalt, scaring the kids. Like well, what? 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 Well, and like LAP, LA, I guess. I don't want to say we've been lucky, but we we haven't experienced a large mass shooting. There have been shootings on campus, but there's never been like a terrorist attack at an LAUSD school. There's never been a reason why LAPD couldn't respond in their place or like why we need school police officers to have a tank like that was never explained. Uh, they ended up giving it back under under public pressure. But the policing of campuses is something that the Youth Justice Coalition has been focusing on a lot, especially with the Students Deserve campaign. The random searches don't make a whole lot of sense. Like. No. They really just serve to criminalize students, to push students away from educational opportunities, and they focus on black and brown youths above, you know, white kids. Like, if you're going to a public school in Brentwood versus, like, Dorsey High School, you're going to have very different 
um, experiences with the cops there and what the cops are there to do. Like the Brentwood school, the cops are probably going to treat you like you're there to be protected. If mm-hmm. you're going to Dorsey, you're probably just a criminal waiting to happen. Yeah, and you're there we to see, be policed. Yeah, and you see um, not just in the, the graduation rates, but just in the overall like achievement that people are, or the overall student achievement, that like the poor, more over-policed schools do worse in every sense. You know, it, it's having cops on campus isn't fixing anything and it's not really making anyone safer. And it's also one where like, when we're trying to negotiate for teachers and nurses and stuff like that, the fact that LAUSD's police department's budget just goes up and up and up every year is really troubling. Uh, yeah, yes, it it genuinely is. Uh, so it's also worth noting that more than 80 teachers at the Accelerated Schools, which is a charter school system down in South LA, are still on strike and have been since January 15th, which was the first day of the LAUSD teacher strike. Uh, these charter school teachers are also represented in their strike by UTLA, which is worth pointing out. And Caputo Pearl, again president of UTLA, released a statement about that strike on Thursday saying that, quote, while the LAUSD strike that had over 30,000 folks out on the street fighting for basic common sense demands, while that strike is over, the strike here at Accelerated is not. And we're going to put every bit of our power and influence here to support the educators, the parents, the students. We're going to make sure that Accelerated wins this strike. Also worth pointing out that the CEO of the Accelerated Schools is threatening to shut down the school rather than negotiate with the teachers. Yeah, and this also points to uh, something we touched on a, a little bit, that teachers in private schools, teachers in charter schools, uh, and charters like like Accelerated uh, often don't have union protections. They're often working on an at-will contract, which mm-hmm. means you can be fired for any reason, for no reason. They don't really have to tell you. You just no longer have to work there. Uh, and it, it puts teachers in a real weird bind because... That's generally one way to get into teaching as a profession, uh, but you don't get any of the the benefits of being at LAUSD. And you you also, in order to teach in LAUSD, there's some fairly strict requirements that you have Mm -hmm. to go through, basically a a two-year master's program to get qualified to be a full-time teacher there. Uh, A lot of people don't want to do that. Again, I know, you know, in my sister's experience as a teacher, she already had a master's degree when she moved to LA and was like, I don't have two years of my life to give to this LAUSD program. So she went and taught for uh, private charters down in the South Bay. Uh, Her pay rate stunk. Her days were very long and kind of boring because she was an art teacher and would only get paid when there was a student in the classroom. So that meant that she was driving from Culver City down to Torrance four days a week. Uh, And that's kind of the position we're putting a lot of educators in where it's like the job that you can have access to is going to be super inconvenient. It's not going to pay you nearly enough. And it's also not going to give you the teaching experience that you want. And those people just move out of the system Um, and they don't want to come back because like the the school system here and especially the the top-down administration makes it really really hard for anyone to get in and get comfortable if they don't have those connections and they don't have tenure and they don't have like union protections it's it's just sort of piling on to younger and younger teachers and putting people who are already in an economically precarious place uh in a position where they can't pursue what they want to do for a living and that's detrimental not just to them but to the students who are missing out on some really great teachers absolutely yeah <sighs> God, that, I mean, it's invigorating, but also so depressing when you think about, like, the fact that they had to do this. I mean, it, it was kind of cool. Like, being out on the on the picket lines was a lot of fun. Uh, There's some really good national coverage. Like, we really showed people like Eric Garcetti, who actually owns this city, and it's not the Eric Garcetti's and the Casey Wasserman's of the world. Uh, at the same time, when these negotiations go down and when we're like, 
trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel, we keep running up against things like Prop 13. And we have split roll coming up on the ballot in 2020. Gavin Newsom is already trying to neuter it. And I, I, he's trying to neuter it because his rich corporate donors are basically saying, hey, if we have to pay our property taxes in full like we like we should have for the last 40 years, we're going to be really angry with you and not give you money to run again. And it's like, screw you, Disney. Like, (laughs) screw you. You're going to pay taxes. You're going to hate it. And then you're going to pay some more taxes. I don't effing care. Like at this point, we can't have Disney paying tax property taxes from 1978 on the insanely valuable property that they sit on while Anaheim has some of the biggest inequality in this city and in this state. Like it's it's when we look at really wealthy corporately owned areas like Anaheim, we see that the people who live there generally don't prosper when a company like Disney literally owns everything in your childhood. Yeah, and it's also worth pointing out that the the protections of Prop 13 and the uh, California constitutional protections for uh, golf courses, things like the Los Thanks, Angeles Bobo. Country. <laughs> oh boy! So things like the Los Angeles Country Club really are they're they're taking um, you know basically cash from uh, the voters in and and the taxpayers in Los Angeles to the tune of something like ninety million dollars a year. Oh yeah, no, it's nuts. And I, I I'm going to tell a real quick story here before well, we we means. move on. Is L.A. Country Club? If you uh, are not I don't want to say fortunate, uh, privileged, uh, spoiled. I don't know. I apply any of those uh, to, to my childhood. But enough to uh, to go to L.A. Country Club, uh, you would miss out on things like going to the men's grill, which they still have, which uh, you have to be uh, an adult male to be in. Uh, basically, children under the age of like 16 are like not supposed to go in. Women are not in there. It's an all-men's bar and grill. Uh, the guy who is the major D is a black guy who wears tucks and tails and white gloves every day. And when you walk into this club, it's like stepping back in time to like the worst paleoconservative vision of what they miss from like the 1950s. And I remember mm. after playing a round of golf and then sitting there in this this club and feeling very uncomfortable about all of this and like my dad and his friends being like oh yeah this is this is the good life this is what the country clubs here for you're like burn this to the ground and put up a lot of affordable housing and cry me a river rich guys like i the 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 fact that we're wasting that amount of space in this city is absolutely dumb um and we you know we're it's taken years to fight with the VA campus in Westwood to get them to build affordable supportive housing for vets and it's like you know that that little piece of property down Wilshire Boulevard there, that's that's mighty green and, and mighty valuable and could be put to much better use. Um, and we should just do that. And yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of like after watching the strike go, I'm just filled with all these visions of like proletarian uprisings and like actually doing something useful with our resources. It would be amazing. All right. Let's talk about stuff we're not doing with our resources or not useful stuff we're doing with our resources <laughs> uh, because Prop 64 was supposed to legalize marijuana in the state of California. But apparently some of our cops haven't gotten the memo on that one. Yeah. So uh, this is a, f- a fun little story from the Sacramento Bee that uh, came out back on the what was it the 21st. Uh, so the California Highway Patrol, before we get into the story, California Highway Patrol seized more than eight tons of of cannabis between January and November of 2018. While cannabis has been legal in the state of California, the Highway Patrol has seized more than eight tons of it. That's nearly double what they seized in 2017, and it's the most that they've seized in any calendar year since 2014. Jeez. 
So there was a fascinating article from the Sacramento Bee on the 21st about all of this that tells the story of Rick Barry, 48, and Brian Clemen, 47, both of whom are former CHP officers who left the agency on bad terms and who also happened to run a licensed marijuana distribution business where they were uh, they were arrested by CHP while driving along the I-5 corridor back in September. According to a lawsuit that was filed with Merced County Superior Court, the two were stopped by the CHP uh, as a part of a regular traffic stop, and they had their vehicle searched when a drug dog alerted officers to the smell of marijuana in the vehicle. Surprise, surprise. But did they find marijuana? No, they did not. So the two of them were not actually transporting any cannabis at the time, uh, but they did have $257,000 in cash that they had collected as payment for cannabis oil. Uh, That cash was then seized by the CHP and handed over to the Department of Homeland Security. One, that's a shit ton of cash. That's a quarter million dollars in cash for cannabis oil. Two, uh, this sounds like just uh, asset forfeiture, which in California we're supposed to not be doing anymore, but it seems like they did this under federal law. Like, it's a little bit weird here because, like, CHP handing their money over to the Department of Homeland Security on a stop that they made in California on an – like – I'm sure somebody that knows the intricacies of the way that federal asset forfeiture works could explain this to me, but this just seems weird and like CHP is doing a job that we're literally not paying them to do. Yeah, that uh, from what I understand, this does not qualify as part of CHP's jurisdiction. Um, it is a federal rule that they were trying to comply with, which again, federal rules and state law enforcement not really where they're supposed to be putting their time and energy, but we'll get into that all at another time, I'm sure. So last week, uh, uh, let me jump back. So according to the CHP, quote, in order to legally transport cannabis in California for commercial purposes, a person must possess the appropriate Bureau of Cannabis Control license and comply with the BCC administrative regulations. Uh, end quote. So, fun fact, apparently Barry and Clemen are claiming that they had that license with them at the time, and again, they didn't actually have any cannabis products with them when they were arrested and this money was seized. Uh, last week, the California Office of Administrative Law upheld a Bureau of Cannabis Control, again, BCC, uh, regulation that states that, quote, a delivery employee may deliver in any jurisdiction within the state of California provided that such delivery is conducted in compliance with all delivery provisions of the division. Uh, That ruling actually was very strongly opposed by the League of California Cities and the California Police Chiefs Association, surprise, surprise, among other local officials, who are all seeking to retain more local control over the distribution and sales of marijuana in their jurisdictions. Uh, The California Police Chiefs Association President David Swing released a statement on the regulation saying, quote, we are deeply concerned with the with the adoption of new cannabis regulations, which allow for the delivery of cannabis anywhere in the state. We are having trouble enforcing a new and complex industry, and this allowance will only make enforcement even more difficult. I mean, especially when they're, like, doing stuff that doesn't sound like it's their job, and they refuse to comply with the the will of the voters of the state of California. Like, Prop 64 was not a razor-thin margin. People voted no, not at all. pretty resoundingly that, like, yes, marijuana should be legal. Your job as a cop is not... Uh, well, A, you shouldn't have your job as a cop, quit your job, (laughs) but your job as a cop, if you're going to keep it, is not to say, like, I want to enforce these laws because I have a hard-on for them. Like, your job is to 
bend your uh, enforcement of the laws to what the laws actually are. And like when I see the police chiefs doing this and like small towns getting really upset about this, it's really just them trying to exert control over people for like the same stupid racist reasons. You know, like Malcolm Gladwell is trying to do this whole like marijuana is more dangerous than you think push to grift some more money out of people. And I see the reactionary forces coming back to try and keep putting people in jail for wanting to smoke a plant that literally grows out of the ground and has been around for all of human history and it we grows actually like a weed even yeah yeah we even have receptors in our brain that like interact with this plant it's it's kind of this ridiculous like if you do any bit of research you can't sustain the law enforcement line but these are guys with pensions and egos invested in believing that like marijuana is evil and people who smoke marijuana must be prosecuted and businesses trying to deal in marijuana must be shut down and I think honestly we just have to wait for them to cycle out and retire. I mean to be fair that is the enforcement strategy and policy for the last like 30, 40 50 something years at this point and uh, I mean it all you know really stems from the the crackdown on drugs under Nixon but it's it's when it's been going on that long it is going to take some time and energy to to push back and change the culture of enforcement but i mean it's the law the law says that you can do this now we voted on it we approved it overwhelmingly get with the times and stop arresting people for participating in illegal business. Well, it also gets right back to the fact that CHP just got busted for, uh, you know, racial oh, discrimination yeah. on that same <laughs> I-5 corridor. Like, this is the for, same for, corridor. For where, concerns about drug smuggling. Yeah, exactly. Hispanic and, immigrants, apparently. They well, or just anybody who looks Anyone Hispanic. who looks like it, yeah. Yeah, anybody who did not look white enough to be driving on the I-5 through the grapevine was subject to being pulled over. And often, like, there were other people who had, like, all of their stuff seized by the cops, like money they may be carrying, uh, because CHP was like, well, we think you might be smuggling drugs and we can't prove it now, but our suspicion allows us to steal your stuff. So you would think CHP would maybe want to not be doing that as much, but I guess we'll find out. It's also one where, like, I don't know. It it seems like if I was a police chief and I was looking at not having to enforce these laws and being able to pull in tax revenue from marijuana businesses, that seems like a net benefit to my department. One would think. Yeah. I mean, fewer, I fewer responsibilities in terms of what you're having to focus on. And, you know, you don't have to lock people up for nonviolent offenses so much. Yeah. That's I mean, amazing. and at Prop 47, we also did that one, prison yep. realignment. Immediately the cops are like, no, we have to lock everyone up. If everyone's <sighs> in jail, no one can commit a crime. <laughs> Oh, there's a bleak outlook on the future. Oh, Lord. All right. Well, so um, hopefully we'll be seeing, like, some changes coming to that one. So I know LAPD has been, like, struggling with it for the delivery services and stuff and trying to figure out how to properly regulate that and make sure that everybody who's delivering or selling marijuana in the city is licensed and able to do so. Uh, It doesn't help that the state and the city are dragging their feet on those regulations. So we have a business caught between just slow-moving politics and the fact that, like, People just want to get high, and that doesn't hurt anyone. No, there's a huge demand for it. Yeah, it's just, it's dumb as hell. Uh, But yeah, let's move on to uh, other things that are maybe not so dumb as hell, um, depending on where you're coming from. I think some of them are dumb as hell. But today, the LA County Board of Supervisors and uh, Mike Bonin and some other like politicos in LA were talking congestion pricing and what to do about our highways and freeways. Uh, And a study just came out that talked about uh, public ridership and what kind of effect Uber and Lyft have on, on people riding the bus and riding the train. So, Let's dig into this a little bit because it kind of touches every aspect of our current transportation infrastructure. Yeah, so that was a a recent study that came out of the University of Kentucky, which found that, quote, when Uber and Lyft enter a city, the app-based taxis decrease rail ridership by 1.29% per year and decrease bus ridership by 1.7%. Yep. And uh, 
if those numbers sound bad, it gets worse because they, the key thing there is when they say per year. This effect is cumulative. So the study estimated that Uber and Lyft have reduced bus ridership in San Francisco by 12.7% since they started operating in the city in 2010. That it's that's crazy. So the study also suggested that San Francisco would have to increase bus service by a whopping 25% to offset the impact that rideshare companies are having on transit ridership within the city. Last year, LA Metro's ridership declined 3.4% despite major investments in the rail network coming out of the Measure M proposal that was passed a couple of years ago. While the there is not really a definitive causal relationship that's been established yet, the ubiquitous presence of Lyft and Uber cars throughout LA may be the reason for this market decline in ridership. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure that that's what it is. Yeah, well, and it's also the the development that's happening around transit and the fact that like oh, yeah. so many uh, people are being pushed away from transit-heavy corridors. Like I know, you know, Palms where I live, which has been fairly affordable-ish. Now that there's transit there and it's good for working people, those people are being pushed out. Those families are being displaced because you can now rent those apartments for a lot more because they're in demand. But the people who are moving in are much more likely to drive their cars and take rideshare than they are to ride the yes, bus. Like absolutely. the average bus rider in LA is not some like white collar tech bro. Uh, it's a, a person of color that's generally going to a service job or going to uh, to school or back to their family. Like it's not people who uh, have other options for transportation, and those people are being pushed out of those neighborhoods. Yeah, and they're having to transport themselves all the way across the city because they've been displaced by those rising uh, rent rates. Yeah. And on top of that, now because of Uber and Lyft, there's more traffic and congestion on the streets, which then a lot of the times we're seeing those Uber and Lyft drivers stopping in bus areas, bus lanes, bus stops to do their their pickups and drop-offs and waiting for new rides to get loaded into their system. And so then this is causing even more traffic. And I, I mean, the number of times that I see buses uh, while I'm walking around in downtown, the buses that are honking at yep. Uber and Lyft cars that are sitting there with their blinkers in red zones in front of bus stops or right behind bus stops and that are completely oblivious to their impact on what's going on is insane. Also, uh, side note, everyone who uses things like uh, Grubhub and Postmates and everything like that, y'all are making a bunch of impact on on the traffic in downtown and everywhere else as well because those drivers who do those pickups I I saw somebody that did that um, in front of one of the restaurants in downtown at like five o'clock on a Wednesday evening in on Eighth Street, which is one of the key feeders going to the one ten for everybody trying to get out of downtown and get onto the one ten. They just blocked an entire lane while they ran inside to go pick up some food for somebody. Yeah, no, it's it's um Absolutely insane. So anyway, one of the authors on that study from the University of Kentucky pointed out that daily Uber and Lyft trips grew from 60,000 to 600,000 in between 2015 and 2018 in New York City, which is nearly identical to the 580,000 fewer daily transit boardings that were recorded in the city in 2018. Coincidence? Mm, Probably not. So interesting, the study also found that bike shares, like Metro Bike, uh, increased rail ridership, but also decreased bus ridership by 1.7%. Uh, that's an interesting little wrinkle into this whole thing where the deployment of bikes and bike share programs uh, does help with increasing some ridership on some transit, but not really helping with everything. Probably because the people who are taking the buses are oftentimes taking them for relatively shorter trips and the bike actually yeah. serves as a good replacement for yeah, that. Yeah, for that last mile problem. Yeah. And like that's that one kind of makes sense. 
it's it's interesting because uh, we'll talk about scooters here in a second, but they're not integrated into the study because Correct, the, the nearest yeah. data is from 2017. Yes. So scooters weren't really like nobody had started dumping them around LA by then. Uh, but it'll be, <laughs> it's interesting, be interesting to see what kind happens, of yeah. yeah, because uh, I feel like with the scooters, they're uh, much more likely to be like sort of last mile solvers for a for lot sure. of people and for like getting between like really short distances. Uh, at the same time, and something that bothers me even with the the metro bikes uh, is there's no way to like carry groceries on them. Like there's no panniers on the back. Like if you want to go buy two bags of groceries at Trader Joe's yeah. and ride home, you can't put that on a micro- metro bike share. And like that would probably make them more useful for a lot of people because you can put one small bag. Yeah, it's sort of. They in have the front, it's, that thing. It's just one of those things where it's like if you're going to design, you know, people aren't riding the buses as much in LA, I think, because they're not, they don't serve you in a really great way. Like you have to make a lot of compromises and we have to start designing infrastructure that actually people want to use instead of being like, because you get the feeling when you're like sitting in a metro station or sitting at like an unsheltered bus stop that the city hates you for using public transit and wants to punish you for it. And I don't feel like that when I go to other cities and use their forms of public transit. Like when I'm in DC, it doesn't feel as hostile. When you go to like Paris, like the Paris Metro feels like you're supposed to be there and you're supposed to be using it. Here in LA, it's more like, we built you a train. Now we're going to judge you for sitting on this platform. You want seats while you wait for your train that may not show up for 30 minutes? No. You got some stairs and you're going to get kicked in the back of the head and you deserve it. Anyway, so uh, another fun. So let's look at a, a quote from the study is, quote, our results suggest that the recent decline in transit ridership in major U.S. cities cannot be attributed to transit service cuts alone. Uh, who that's coming from Earhart, who is one of the authors, uh, quote, the ridership decline is steepest from 2015 onwards and correlates with the introduction of Uber into a market. Uh, and continuing the quote, a more effective approach may be to think beyond the bounds of transit agencies to consider policies such as congestion pricing, ding, 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 mm-hmm. or a broader rethinking of how right of way is allocated in the urban streetscape between cars, transit, bicycles, pedestrians, and other uses, he said. Yeah, dedicated bus lanes. Dedicated bus lanes, dedicated bike lanes that are protected at a different grade. All of these things are absolutely necessary if we're going to be trying to fix the massive gridlocked trans like transportation system that we have in the city and you know make it so that everyone can live a better life in the city yeah. and that we stop putting so much pollution out there because the cars are now I mean, transportation as a whole is now the single largest contributor to uh, greenhouse gas emissions in the state of California. Yeah. No, it's it's um, it's going to be weird, especially looking at how we move forward with this infrastructure. Uh, obviously, L.A. City has decided how they want to regulate Bird and Lime and the other like scooters. Um, you know, Uber and Lyft both own uh, scooter and bike share companies now. Yep. Uh, Uber's is called Jump. Uh, the Lyft ones are still just called Lyft. Uh, but they decided to jump the gun and go ahead and start trying to operate in unincorporated LA. And the county board has finally had something to say about that. Correct. The Board of Supervisors voted on Tuesday, January 15th to impose a quote-unquote voluntary ban on the deployment of scooters into the unincorporated areas of LA County until rules for their use, safety, and distribution are established. A reason why the, the reason why this ban is considered to be voluntary is that as yet there is no penalty for any company that floats the ban. 
Okay, Flunks so basically, so yeah, but so basically, if like Bird goes and drops a bunch of scooters There's in like unincorporated happens. Inglewood, and the county finds out about it, they have no way to punish. Correct. Them. There's cool. no, there is no repercussion for doing this. This is purely. Are they going to impound them, or they haven't said? Uh, I I believe that they probably would impound them, but they are not doing anything. There there would not be any fines, okay. or any other penalty for the company. Uh, but again, remember, they don't they don't claim that those. Scooters are actually their assets. Yeah, well, and they also have left like impound lots full of them. Apparently, uh, you know, going back to the uh, the Boing Boing article that was like, "Hey, yeah, if you get yourself an impounded bird, here's how you can make it a free bird." Cheap way to make it your own personal scooter. Ha. Uh, so both Bird, which is based in Santa Monica and Lime, have declined to comment to the LA Times on exactly where and how many scooters they've deployed in these areas. But the LA Times uh, had requested that data from the companies to correlate against their own study that they did uh, from apps from the data on the apps uh, for both of those two companies, which show that, quote, only about 5% of available bird scooters were in the unincorporated areas controlled by the Los Angeles County. Uh, roughly 2% of Lime scooters were in those areas. So this analysis by the LA Times, quote, plotted the known locations using mapping software and totaled them within political boundaries provided by local governments. And uh, in that survey, they found that the largest concentration of the scooter deployments in the county's unincorporated areas are in, or the largest one was in Marina del Rey, which is unsurprising given the proximity to Venice Beach and Santa Monica, uh, with Altadena and East Pasadena bringing up the uh, the rear as far as notable spots for concentrations of these scooters. But so again, we're seeing the scooters appearing in places that are more affluent, you know, like we're not Surprise. seeing them. Yeah, we're not seeing them in unincorporated South LA, like Altadena, people have big ranch land out there, East Pasadena, a lot of uh, single family homes and like some decent business. And then Marina del Rey, obviously you have all of the tourism that comes along out there that's right along like the the Lincoln Corridor where there's a lot of people who travel in and out and travel for the beaches and uh, to go to the marina. And there's not that much else to do in, in no. Marina del Rey, but it, it's a more affluent kind of condo heavy area Correct, where people yes. wouldn't necessarily want to take their car to get to the grocery store. Like you wouldn't want to fight Lincoln traffic to get to that Ralph's across from the marina. That would be hellish. But like a bird would make sense to ride that like mile and a half. Mm -hmm. So this actually uh, points to a, a little anecdote from uh, when I was at the uh, California Democratic Convention in San Diego a while back. Uh, they were showing off these lime scooter or bird, I think it was what they were showing off at the time. They were handing out helmets and giving them to all the people that were coming out of the uh, Democratic Party convention and uh, trying to get people to sign up and try their scooters. They gave you like a free credit to ride it for the first time. And uh, I asked the guy when it was that he was thinking that they were going to be bringing those scooters into like downtown LA, and his response directly back to me was, "As soon as you get, as soon as you guys get people to stop stealing them." Womp womp. <laughs> no, I mean like and. Yeah. Like, so I was in, it, it, I was in Vaughn's the other day and I, I saw this mom force her little like five-year-old to give back a lollipop that he pocketed. And I was just like, that's the wrong lesson. That's the wrong lesson. Like these corporations are literally straining our regulation, We're our not infrastructure. Advocating they're advocating for stealing from I mean, for, for the birds and stuff, you're yeah. not stealing again no, because no. they say they don't own it. I actually, Correct. yeah, I'm, I'm still, they, they kind of go back and forth on this. So at some point they're going to get locked into it. But ultimately, like, don't forget the, the big aim of a company like Lime and the aim of a company like Bird is not to create a brand or a company that's going to last forever. They want to sell out. Yeah. Like the guy who started Bird was an executive for Lyft and was like, oh, I can be an early 
early entrant into this market that this bigger company that I work for is going to want to buy into, and I can set that up. These are money-making schemes that are just kind of sucking money out of our own local economy, mm -hmm. uh, and they're not really doing anything helpful. And it's one of these where, like, I keep coming back to, you know, I, I think riding a scooter looks dumb. Like, I don't think there's any way to do that and look cool. That's my own aesthetic judgment. But beyond that, until we actually have infrastructure that can support safely, like, riding these scooters around, because here in L.A., you can't be on the sidewalk legally, and you can't be on a street with a speed limit over 25. That puts you. That means that you can't ride these scooters on the vast majority of streets in L.A. that aren't residential. And so you're kind of like... Well, if these are going to be useful, how are we going to make it so people don't die or are just constantly uh, flaunting the law? And the L.A. City Council is not really capable, I think, at this point of, like, making the infrastructure changes they needed. The, you know, the My Spring and the My Fig and the new protected bike lane down 7th took years to get in, uh, have got people all sorts of angry about the fact that they're protected bike lanes. I don't even know what the fight is going to look like to get, like, you know, multimodal streets where you actually can have like a, a bike lane, a scooter lane, a dedicated bus lane, and then one lane for traffic. And the drivers are not going to like that. No, but there's actually a really cool article that was in the New York Times. Um, I think it was sometime last year uh, where they show you an idea of what those multimodal streets would look like. And it was it was a, a breath of fresh air in this conversation that I would love to see happen here in L.A. Spoiler, it looks a lot like Copenhagen. Yeah, surprise! Spoiler, people have already built this. Yeah, um, yeah but it's... it's, it's it, these are one I, I'm interested to see which way LA County goes. I don't think they're going to do anything too drastic. We still have like Metro wants to privilege the Metro bike share. And so they're trying to push out all the other bike shares from a mile away from stations and stuff. That's not working as well as they were hoping. Um, the Metro bikes are just not as good a deal and don't do as much um, as the, the, as the County was hoping that they would do for like people's yeah. mobility and stuff. So, I, I think that, you know, L.A. needs to move towards, like, getting people into a multi multimodal, like, public transit thing where, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just two hours of transfers between buses and trains. But, like, I could also take a bike, you know, because, like, right now hopping on a metro bike costs just as much as a, a, a bus ticket. And, like, that's already, like, it's kind of expensive. If you don't have a monthly pass and you're paying a buck seventy-five every time you get on a, a bus or a train, that adds up at the end of the day. Like, you could spend $10 just running errands across an entire day if you're going all over the city. And I've done that a couple of days on transit, and it's like a pain in the butt. It is, and it's absolutely absurd to me that you can take the metro someplace, hop out, and then there's a metro bike right there, and you can't do a tap transfer yeah. from the metro onto a bike. Like, w w why? Why is that not a thing? Like, why was that not a thing from the outset? That should have easily been a thing from the outset. Come on. No, it's it's the the idea that we build public infrastructure here um, and expect it to turn a profit is really dumb. We need to build you public infrastructure. Be building it for profit motive. Period. You should be building it because it's useful and treat it like that, not like it's, it's some a public service. Yeah, not a lodestone around your neck. But I I'm excited because from what I understand, a very young, exciting politico is looking to come <laughs> down. <laughs> From the L.A. County Board of Supervisors to fix Los Angeles City County, or sorry, the Los Angeles City Hall. So let's talk a little bit about uh, our, our second favorite Ridley Thomas, uh, Mark Ridley Thomas, and uh, what his plans are. Well, he's definitely running. Uh-oh. Uh there's, there's an email that was sent out from Supervisor Mark Ridley Thomas, uh, which was his mark at markridleythomas.com account, that went out on Wednesday, the 16th of January in the afternoon. 
saying, subject, city council, here we come. And it went to a whole bunch of people. Um, Friends, please join Supervisor Mark Ridley-Thomas for his fourth annual Super Bowl party as we kick off his race for city council. It would be wonderful if you would consider maxing out with an $800 contribution today. Yeah, I'm not going to do that, Mark. <laughs> well, at least uh, his emails are making no bones about what he's, his plans are. But uh, whenever the L.A. Times uh, tries to talk to him about this, like whenever uh, Emily Alpert Reyes uh, approaches him, he just kind of ums and ahs and, and, and won't make any comment. But uh, the emails tell the story. Yeah, and uh, there's some ambiguity in California election law and even federal election law, which applies even to to local races like this, where you're allowed to collect money without declaring at a certain point. And you notice, like, that's why this... You're not. Uh, you can't. No, it's it's actually... It's there, a, there are ways to do it. There are. Because he's... I guarantee you this money isn't going directly to his campaign. Oh, gotcha. If it's going to a PAC, then it's... It's got to be something like that. Because the other thing is he didn't send this out from his Mark Ridley Thomas... Uh, at the LA County, no. like his well, official he, he email, would, it that came would out. Be illegal, yeah. Exactly. So this is coming from his personal email account. And so he can make fundraising claims for that. I think if he decides not to run, he has to give the money back or something, or it has to, it can go into a behested payments that, thing. That's true. You can make uh, pledges. Yeah. And like uh, Eric Garcetti has like $30 million in behested payments that he's never really talked about, that he's collected from corporations since wow. like 2013. That's been his war chest all along. Like if you track the money that he's bringing in, it's weird and it's fungible and if he decides to run for president he can use it for certain stuff but it's it's basically if you're a savvy politician and you're able to just send the money through the right communications channels into the right bank accounts you can collect a lot of money for uh, an election you may never run you can collect a lot of money before you even like get into the race you can set yourself up pretty well and for somebody like mark ridley thomas who's been in la politics for 20 almost 30 years now whose son uh rode his cult coattails all the way up to the assembly uh he's before promptly crashing back down yeah well he's got pretty much i I would think every trick up his sleeve and like knows what he's doing with this uh i also think it's kind of amazing to just come right out the gate and be like yo give us the 800 dollars right now uh because he knows that a he's got a lot of money that he can raise and b he wants to block people out from being able to contribute to other folks um yeah it's uh, it, it's kind of a, a cynical strategy, but we'll see what happens with him and Herb Wesson because that seems the, the what everyone's Swap expecting is Peru. yeah, everyone's expecting Herb Wesson to run for uh, uh, board seat number two for Ridley Thomas to come down for council district 10. Um, I'm not sure that's gonna work out real well for either one of them. You know, like Herb Wesson was pretty absent during the UTLA strike. like it looks like Garcetti picked up some momentum from that. Nobody else on the board really like, exploited or used that strike in a really good or politically uh, powerful way. Mm-hmm. A lot of people came out like when it was clear that the strike was going to work and people were excited that the teachers were striking and that they were going to win. Then the pol- then the politicians like the LA local politicians came out and were like I stand with teachers. It's like we've been we've been doing this for months and you've been fighting us the whole way. Like we we can go back in time. We can use the internet way the way back machine. Yeah. So I I'm kind of confused as to how they're going to play this one out or what they're going to how they're going to spin it off. But Mark Ridley Thomas is going to be coming in here with a lot of money uh, and hopefully he's going to lose spectacularly. That's going to that, that's what I'm crossing my fingers. Well, for. I know that one of the contenders uh, for that seat or one of the potential contenders is uh, is Grace Yu, who has been in very much involved 
in the uh, Korean American community within the, the, the within the, the local state assembly district, but also within the city council district as well, which that is the, yeah. the hotbed of a lot of political activism within CD10 is that Korean American community, which if everyone thinks back, um, Let's talk about that bridge shelter. Well, and even before that, the Coalition to Preserve LA. Like, Grace Yu uh, helped fight off a couple of big developments here using CEQA. Uh, She also was part of the coalition that wanted Parker Center turned into, like, homeless, uh, into a homeless shelter or a a, a supportive housing center Mm -hmm. uh, and not turned into the weird convention center hotel that it's going to be. And we know uh, what Jose Huizar's, you know, place was in in making that one happen. But Grace Yu's, like, she's... A figure that uh, has some really interesting and good progressive policies and then also has some weird NIMBY-ish like leanings and policies and alliances. So it'll be weird to see how that one plays. It's also going to be um, to, to see it like Herb Wesson isn't super popular with the Korean American community right now. That's putting it mildly. Yeah. And so if Margaret Lee Thomas wants to sweep in and thinks that like that business community there is going to fall in line behind him or be wowed by him or think that he'll be able to like pick up any support by getting Herb Wesson's endorsement. Like, I, it's just going to get really, really ugly. Uh, a fun thing that you can do at home is you can look up the map of CD14, and it is gerrymandered and 10, ridiculous. CD10. Oh, CD10. I'm sorry. In CD10. Um, and just see how weird and ridiculously gerrymandered it is and yeah. how it stretches across all of these non-secuitous neighborhoods and business interests and class interests that, like, aren't ever going to align. Like, the the... L.A. City Council exists by dividing and conquering. Oh, yeah. CD4 is even more <sighs> more out of whack when you look at how that one. That one's the one that I think takes the cake as far as the most gerrymandered district in the city. The only one that makes any sense to me is uh, uh, District 11, which is Mike Bonin's, because it's just the coast, pretty much. It's just the coast up uh, everything west of the 405 south of Malibu and like north of Torrance like it's just it's the only one that geographically makes sense and even kind of class and business interest wise because it, if you're living west of the 405 you're probably doing okay for yourself at this yeah. point you know CD 15 I think is the one that also makes some sense but that's just because it's got that really weird stretch of the 110 going down to the port yeah which is just like a yeah that's that's the like that's the part of the city that was clearly annexed explicitly for the purpose of having control over the port of LA. And so it all jumps down into being one one big district that, I mean, politically it doesn't make a lot of sense, but at least geographically, because I mean, that's a long skinny spindle of the district. Yeah, no, it's it's weird. It's it. it we're going to keep seeing these tensions. Fortunately, here's the fun thing is we get a new census in 2020. That is true. So these districts are all going to get redrawn. Uh, my kind of hope, even though I know it's not going to happen, is that maybe we'll get like more people representing L.A. so that we don't have city councilmen who what? are representing nearly a million people each, like more than a lot of senators. Um, county board is even more ridiculously out of whack. But like yeah. 2020, hopefully there's going to be uh, a they'll actually do the count right, which the Trump administration is trying to tank it. But B, we'll have the political will to force like our government to begin adopting a structure and a number of representatives that's actually feasible and workable. And so we don't have like 15 districts spread across the city. They're all run by their own little mayor that we actually have community based solutions outside of the neighborhood councils, which were always a nice idea, but were quickly neutered and now are just sort of, 
I don't know, somewhere <laughs> between like a, a benign community organization and just like an absolute mess. Like across the city, out of the hundred neighborhood councils, there's probably twenty or thirty of them that haven't held quorum for a couple of years, wow. and nobody is trying to do anything about that. There's also some that are super active. Los Feliz Neighborhood Council, they do a lot of stuff. They're also up in Los Feliz, where you have more affluent, connected people. It's I don't know, it, like it, as LA like barrels on into the 21st century, the, the the class disconnect here between the people who live in the city and actually make the city work, and then the people who profit from and control our city is just becoming starker and starker and starker. Um, but hey, we proved this week that we can strike. Yeah, and like that scared the hell out of some folks. And striking works. Yeah. Well, so that's been like what we got this week. We we keep promising to do more we'll cop talk stuff because the there's soon. so much bad behavior on the cops. Uh, just so y'all know, uh, Melina Abdullah, who is uh, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter LA, has a court appointment coming up on February seventh. So everyone's getting together at the downtown courthouse to do court support for her. Uh, Two hundred people showed up for her last appearance. Uh, she's currently facing eight charges uh, from the L.A. City Attorney's Office stemming from her, what they say is her disrupting uh, police commission board meetings. A lot of that is is questionable, especially for the last arrest where yeah. literally somebody else has said, because she was arrested for ostensibly grabbing an officer and then resisting arrest, um, which she didn't do that. She mm-hmm. didn't resist anything and she didn't grab the officer. Another activist that we work with has already said, I'm the one who grabbed the officer's arm. Mm-hmm. They don't really care about the facts in this one. Um, but anyways, you can go ahead and call Mike Fuhrer's office. Uh, you can go ahead and sign the uh, color of change petition that's going on and we're quickly accelerating towards 500 signatures and if you can uh, the downtown courthouse show up around uh, 8 30 9 a.m february 7th and uh, let's let them know that melina is not going to be put into a cage without them hearing from us absolutely is there a specific color of t-shirts that people should be wearing for something like that because that, i know that that's no what, not not for these not they're the not coordinating okay. that um at least that i've heard but i'll keep yeah, you all should, updated I've, I've heard of that happening in places like new york city and it makes a huge difference so you should probably start i mean if, for this one they did not expect 200 people to yeah. show up jam that courtroom like overflow capacity and they're you know the the city attorney is of the opinion that the longer they keep this going on the more our motivation is going to flag and we're not going to show up in mass so let's counteract that exactly you know there's 150 people at our first court appearance 200 or second let's make it 500 for her third let's really let the city attorney's office know that what they're doing is beyond the pale and very regressive and something that we don't really appreciate uh and also something that they're not going to win give that date one more time so it's february 7th Great. yeah downtown courthouse hopefully i'll see you all there and obviously you can catch us every wednesday out at the hall of justice from 4 to 6 p.m telling jackie lacy she's got to go uh, but that's a whole other issue we're not going to get into because <laughs> we're pushing the hour long mark. Uh, but anyways, yeah, thank you very much for all that, Chris. And oh, uh, yeah, we'll be back here every Friday. Uh, we're moving to an early access model. So for those of you that are patrons through uh, Patreon, you'll be getting this Friday mornings. For everyone else, it's coming out Sunday mornings for free. Nice. Uh, if you would like it earlier and you'd like access to some of the new content we're going to be producing, throw us a buck over on uh, Patreon. And uh, other than that, have yourself a really, really wonderful weekend. Awesome. Thanks, guys.